Hello, Dental Online Trainers, and welcome to the Dental Online Training Sharecast. I'm your host, Dr. Dennis Hartley. Each month, we'll talk with dental experts who are doing amazing work in the world of dentistry. Also, occasionally, I'm going to throw in a few of my solo bonding sharecasts, where I share a little with you about what I've learned along the way during my career. So tune in the first Tuesday of every month to hear the latest episodes. Hey, Dental Online Trainers, thanks for turning back in to hear the second part of this great interview with Dr. Brian Shaw. If you missed the first part of this interview, you can check it out on Apple Podcasts or YouTube, which will be linked in the description. We hope you enjoy the rest of this interview when Brian and I talk about his role as a TMJ and facial reconstructive surgeon down in Florida and our experiences working together in Chicago area. Be on the lookout in two weeks for our next Surecast episode. As always, yours for better dentistry. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartlieb. This is interesting you brought that up. I, I just saw a very prominent oral surgeon who does a lot of maxillofacial reconstruction stuff and the beautiful presentation. And someone raised the question, well, what about the joints? You know, how do you, you know, you know, when you have these anterior open bites that are suggestive of joint breakdown and stuff. And he, he kind of dismissed it and just said, you know, you, you have to have a good diagnosis. And, he, you know, he he pushed it towards, you know, there are, there are medications that can be used to, you know, to manage these type of cases and stuff. And in my community in Chicago area, when, when I would talk about Piper with other oral surgeons, um, it was like blasphemy. I mean, because... Because the this seems like the oral surgery oral surgery community, I don't know if they if if this is just like a Pandora's box, if this is like a, like a, the 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 Bermuda's Triangle, the black hole. It's like it's an area that I don't know. They just don't want to get into, or because they would they would suggest that Piper would be over treating patients. But then I I mean, having learned and seen what the what the joints look like, it's like how how do you call this oral oral over treating? If this was your knee. This wouldn't be over-treating. This would be like fixing your knee. And that's what's so confusing to me. It, it, it remains confusing in the maxillofacial community. It, it remains a topic that um, has players on opposite sides of the spectrum. And we're trying to develop a reproducible algorithm to be published in Amos and to say this is what you should be doing. And over and over again, it sort of starts with arthrocentesis, arthroscopy, total joint replacement. And there is tons of literature out there. Um, many papers written by Mike Maloro, who runs UIC's program, and someone I also have the utmost respect for. I met Dr. Maloro when I was at Ohio State, and he was a young attending there um, right after he finished residency, that says discectomies work. There, there can be something in between where people have a very, these, these procedures that I do most of the time. Now, I do do a lot of total joints now, sure. and I, I have shifted that in Mark's practice significantly from where he was. Um, I would say I am treatment planning maybe 30% of my cases for total joints now, mm. where zero when I started. But... The literature, the research is there that says there is something in between. We don't have to go from an arthrocentesis that we know isn't going to treat true pathology right. all the way to a total joint. And that in between is a discectomy in certain patients. Now, I certainly 
don't think that it's perfect. There were things that we could do to get better and and you know, you run into the occasional complication and sometimes it doesn't work for a patient. Um, but we've got to give them a chance to have a smaller operation and keep their own tissue before jumping to amputations and total joints. So I think that's where it fits in. And I really don't believe that that's radical because it's been in the literature. It's It's been out there for a long time. I think part of the reason that Mark was met with a lot of kickback is, um, you know, as you said earlier, he is a very serious guy. He, he is very serious and there's not a lot of okay, I know you guys see it that way, but you got to listen to me a little bit here. It was sort of this, um, you know, it, it's kind of like, if you can't see that, I really don't know what your problem is. Right. And people mm-hmm. don't respond well to that. So I think that that could be part of it. Um, uh, this is a funny story. I, I did a lecture for Dr. McKee's study club uh, a number of years ago, and I was in Downers Grove, and I gave the lecture, and Kurt Ringhofer said to me, well, you know, Brian, you ever think that the jaw's asymmetric because one side is dissolving, and it's not that the other side is overgrowing? And I said this to because this is before I knew Mark. Well, if that's the case, Kurt, we're learning about it for the first time here at Downers Grove. And, and sort of like, well, it's nowhere in my literature that that's the case. If it's not a fracture, then it's because one side is overgrowing. And and that's this concept that Mark always talked about with an opportunistic joint. If it happens in a kid, one side is displaced, the other disc is good, and they get opportunistic growth. Yeah. It's not hemimandibular hyperplasia or hypertrophy or elongation. Right. So really, really funny, but I'd never heard of it. So just naturally, I kind of jumped at him. And Kurt still makes fun of me about that. So it's... <laughs> It's fascinating. I, 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 I tell every dentist when, when like young dentists say, you know, what, what kind of courses should I take when I get out of school? And they all want to take, you know, the sexy courses. They want to do the aesthetics. They want to do the implants. They want to do the veneer courses. And, and I, I always, 100%, I say, slow down. You, you got to learn occlusion and you got to learn joint-based occlusion because you can learn occlusion and that's what I did in the beginning and it can be good for you know maybe 80% 90% but then you're going to have that, those cases where things just aren't working out right because the joints are just not healthy and it's way more than 10 or 20% right it's a, yeah, it's a big yeah. part of our population and so understanding occlusion understanding joint based occlusion then allows you to do dentistry at a much higher level and be able to manage patients that we're told not to touch. You know, don't not, you don't want to deal with TMD patients. You want to do, deal with TMJ patients. It's a big part of my practice, and those patients are, are fine. You just have to understand how to manage them, and then when is it time that it's beyond just a restorative-based dentist capability to be able to manage them, and when do they need to have experts like like yourself, surgeons who can help out with stuff. Exactly, and thank you for bringing that up because it is so true that you know, you can spend hours doing the most beautiful lifelike restorations with your ceramist, et cetera. But if they keep getting knocked off, mm-hmm. um, that's not going to get you anywhere. And that's because of a drifting occlusion. And you just, you need that mandible uh, to be where you think it's going to be every time you see that patient. And the only way the mandible is going to change position is if the joints change. That's the only part of the mandible, except for some of the alveolar bone, that truly goes through modification. So I think it is so absolutely 
important to just quickly get a handle on that, understand your in your own mind what algorithm you use when you see these patients so that when you do your dentistry or you're doing your orthodontics, it stays there. And in your, you don't have to go to bed at night and say, oh, I hope I retire before they call me back. You know, so. Absolutely. And you know, you brought up orthodontics and I think that's one of the, the really keys with all this. And, and I, orthodontists need to get into the understanding that this, the orthodontics is joint based and they're too often just, you know, tooth occlusion based. And there's so many cases that come in that they're just post orthodontics and there's an incredible, uh, MIP to, you know, CO, I mean, um, CRMIP slide that where the bite is just not, you know, it's so far off and, you know, they say, oh yeah, I have a dual bite and there'll be all sorts of, you know, explanations. But the reality is understanding that there could be some joint issues as we're working with our patients, I think is, is foremost and needs to be at the front of our brain when we're, when we're, we're when we're working out these cases. Yeah, absolutely. It just, need, it needs to be part of the checklist like any other checklist. Can I move forward? Um, yes, the periodontium is stable. There's no active infections. We've taken care of all the things we've all learned in dental school. Now let's think about that as well. That's that's another part of your health assessment is is the joint stable so you can do all the beautiful work that you do. And then in getting into airway, which we've talked a lot about in uh, dental online training, you know, looking at airway so that we can help patients, especially, you know, you look at these class two patients and just other people who, you know, small, small jaws, small maxillas and stuff. How much is that brought into your practice looking at airway and airway surgeries and stuff? Yeah, it's it's huge now. And that really, I think, is the 30% that I just mentioned with total joints. That's really where that's coming from. Interesting. Um, In my algorithm that I use when I assess these folks, I I, if if the joints need surgery, I have to assess whether the condyles can be saved. If they can't, that's an indication for a total joint. If they can, but I have to move the face forward, then I can either stage it or I can do it as a total joint. And at the end of the day, I'm finding the staged cases, I can't quite get the face as far forward as I want. And that's where I'm going into the total joints. So these are, that's what's really changed everything for me is, um, and one of these things that I've now kind of labeled with the way I, I treat people is this face first label that I've put on it. I look at the face first, that's it. If I can get the face where it needs to be, I'll treat everything else in the process. And as I work backwards from that position, if the joints can't hold that amount of advancement, they need total joint replacements. Um, so it, it's really, really changed the way I practice. Um, and it's been there on the back of my mind for a period of time. It was just a matter of sort of organizing it um, into how it works with these patients and what I can do predictably. And, the, and that is kind of where I am now with things. You work with uh, a lot of dentists that refer cases to you. What is... What are, what are some of the things that you've heard other dentists who are referring patients to you? How do they talk to patients about, all right, you're, you need to see a surgeon for, for what's going on, or we should have a conversation with the surgeon. What's, what's the best way to help patients, you know, to, to manage sort of the anxiety of, of surgery, 
uh, just sort of working through that. I mean, that's a big deal, right? I mean, this is not like having you know, having a, you know a tooth taken out. We're talking about you know real surgery and stuff. How do, how do we talk to our patients about this stuff? That's a, a really really great question. And when I'm working with new referrals, that's the first thing they ask me. Number one, they're afraid to tell their patient this. They they take it as a personal failure, and it's not. They're afraid that the patient is going to say, well, why are you telling me this now and not five years ago when I met you? Well, now we know more and now things have presented themselves and we've tried conservative things and you're still coming to me every year when you're getting your prophy saying, I'm uncomfortable and I keep looking at your bite and I'm replacing the same crown because you keep breaking it. Um, at this stage, this is a real issue. Now, the beautiful thing and again this is all testament to mark because he did all the pioneering work i can tell them 99 98.5 percent of the time these operations are incredibly predictable you get better you get better there's minimal surgery really with this um depending on what procedure we use it's all for the most part predictable um, the pain is well managed, but you you owe it to yourself as the patient to 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 at least get assessed and give yourself a chance to living a normal life. Again, like you said earlier, if this was a knee, you would never tell a 17-year-old, you tore your ACL. I guess you're never gonna go up a flight of stairs again. You you just never say that, or I see your bike in the background, you know, you're never gonna go cycling again. Because you tore your ACL, we're sorry. No, we the orthopedic surgeons know how to fix you. Well, so do we. We can we can get you better. So I I think there has to be a level of saying that this is serious and it needs at least an assessment. And if you do require surgery, which is not um, undertaken without a lot of time and effort and talk and diagnosis, your results are probably going to be very very good. Um, and then there are people like Jim McKee. And Jim has gotten so good at this and used to it. When his patients come down, they almost say to me, yeah, you want me to go through a full day of uh, consultation? I already know what I need. Just sign me up. And so it's Jim has gotten so good at understanding this process. And patients trust him so much. And again, it's because he's so honest and open with his patients that they don't think of it as a burden. They're excited to come down. They're ready. Yeah. Um, so I, I think to, you know, to summarize that, it's really, you see it as the doctor, the patient owes it to themselves to get taken care of or at least assessed. And then having the confidence to tell them that you're going to come back better than you were before. I think those are, are the biggies. I, I just referred to a patient, Don O'Brien, who I had done some composite veneers on maybe about seven, eight years ago. And fortunately, we document our cases with photographs. And she's been a regular patient in the practice. We're doing hygiene. I had made her a splint. And she was in for hygiene just like a year ago, six months ago. And I'm doing it. And she, I have her bite together as I'm checking everything. I'm like, I don't remember you having an anterior open bite like this. And I asked her, I said, do you feel like your bite has changed? And she's like, I, I don't know. And so we, I went back and I said, I don't remember your bite like this. And sure enough, I went, because I would have recognized an anterior open bite like what she had. Went back, I found my old photos from seven or eight years ago and it was, she did not have an anterior open bite. And so this was like, 
you know, but it had been happening in the practice. I didn't notice it, you know, it just been, it, and I don't know for how long, I mean, sure, discs are really bad. So her discs had been bad for a long time. Now she's having bone, bone changes and I just didn't notice it. And so she sort of asked like, well, how long has this been going on? And I'm like, I don't know. And I, and I apologize. I said, I'm sorry. I didn't notice this going through, but it is definitely changing. And you know, the good news is now I got a guy that's got, you know, maybe a be better by bedside manner. And I think also face first, I think that is actually a, an issue also. And I, you brought that up looking at how cosmetically things are going to be looking as you're um, reestablishing better, healthier joint, um, joint areas. Yeah, absolutely. And really, um, as I said, that was originally my missing link is how do we make orthognathic surgery more stable? Um, how do we fix craniofacial problems in a stable way? And that's now really where I'm swinging this practice is, is we, we have to treat everything. Um, you're going to get there. If you get the skeleton back to where it should have been if they didn't have their trauma, their growth discrepancy because of joint pathology, whatever the case may be, if you get that back, all those other things are going to fall into place. Um, but yeah, it's it's a tough conversation, I think, to have with someone um, if this is not the way you've been approaching things. But you you gently bring it into the practice and, and you use someone like Jim or you or any of the other folks or Kurt that we work with that talks to folks about it all the time and and, and learn from you guys because you do it very well. You know, for everyone out there, dental online trainers, if you want to learn more about sort of managing these uh, TMD patients, TMJ patients, uh, we have uh, three great courses from Dr. McKee. We're getting a couple more from him. But the first is sort of like having like the, the first examination and we have both uh, his presentation and then we have a live patient that he's doing the examination on. We have our course on reading MRIs, understanding MRIs and reading MRIs for the joint patient, then CBCTs for the, MRI, uh, for the TMJ patient. So if you want to learn more about that, that's a great resource. And then you can always hit me up and I can give you some more information on that stuff as well. But people don't want to talk about the about unhealthy TMJs, and uh, oh. but it's a real thing. I remember Dawson, Dawson talked about the first time he went up and he talked about uh, disc displacements and the sort of, you know, dysfunction of discs and stuff. And he said it was literally almost physically attacked by people in the audience. Uh, and so pioneers, man, they, they really suffer some of, you know, some of the, you know, the retribution from, uh, from the audience and stuff like that. And so, you know, Piper really hung in there and I think what I love is how you've been able to modify and then bring in some of the things that um, that he was not necessarily doing and just really just making it more complete, especially like with airway and some of the other stuff, the total joint stuff that we talked about. Yeah, and I, I think it really, if we were to talk to Mark about that, he he would say, good. And, and he always um, sort of said, you're going to run with this. I've taken it as far as I can take it. You're going to run with this. And when I pass it off, someone will run with it way further than I am. And I, I think that's that's a good point for all the younger people out there as well. That's what we're all doing. We're practicing on somebody else's shoulders. Someone else came before us. Someone else was, was brave enough to do these things. So now we can say, my God, I can predictably cut someone's face open and put them back. 
And the next day they're already saying, when can I go play volleyball? Um, you know, 50 years ago, that wasn't the case. And, and so it's, that's part of the modesty that we should all carry with us in the medical profession that, you know, our good results are based on people before us. And, and in the future, they're going to learn from what we do. So, you know, keep doing good work, document, take pictures, you know, yeah. pass the stuff on to people. And these study clubs, the thing that, you, you know, what you're doing right now, um, what all of these other excellent educational programs do in this country, sign up for these things. Yep. Sure. Yeah, and I'll add, I'll piggyback on that. Jim McKee has an excellent study club. Uh, if you are interested in just really doing a deep dive into joints, reach out to me and I can get you connected with that stuff. Yeah. Brian, this has been just awesome. Uh, first, of all, first of all, it's always great just being able to talk to you. And now that you're down in Florida, we don't get to see each other as much, mostly just at meetings and all. Uh, but I'm so excited to have such a familiar face take over Mark's practice. And so, and I know has such, such just expertise and I'm delighted to be able to have someone I trust so much to be able to refer my patients down to. So, um, if people wanted to send patients to you and stuff like that, how do they reach out to Dr. Brian Shaw? So what the, um, website is, is the best way the phone number is there. And, and what, what we do with this, um, I've had people say, oh, let me just fill out a, a slip and, and shoot it to you in the mail. But it's not like taking out number 13 and bone grafting the site. We want to get to know you and your patient. So I'll, we'll talk by phone, we'll email, look at things online together. Um, the, the system that we have in place is I have uh, an individual in my staff that will call your patient and brief them on what the consultation day is like. How much does it cost? Do they usually get insurance reimbursement? How do they come down here? Which hotels should they stay in? When they, when can they expect to leave? What are we going to talk about that day? So we will give them a heads up on everything. And the the reason why we do that is because it's a commitment. We don't want to waste their time. If they say to us right away, oh, wait, no, 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 no. I'm not, I don't want to do that. Um, then at least we haven't upset them and wasted their time. And then we circle back around me and the referral to say, okay, what are some other options for them? Um, but that's the best way of doing it. And this is, um, again, I've always had a focus on how I want to practice. And I like low volume. I want to be able to really, really craft each case. And that's that's what we do. So each, of the, each one of these individuals will get a a long write-up, they'll get all of their images. We close the loop with communication with the referral and we can continue to talk. Um, you know, if someone doesn't need surgery right away, that doesn't mean that we'll never talk again. Uh, they may fail more conservative treatment or whatever the case may be. So I think getting the number from the website and um, we're in the process of changing all of that right now, but the practice now is just called Brian Shaw MD PLLC. Um, and I think I didn't want to, uh, you know, come up with a name that uh, it was, it was <laughs> strange, you know, the intergalactic TMJ surgery office or something. Right. Um, this was just me. If you know my name, you'll know where to send them and uh, we'll make sure that we get in touch and, and make it happen. And your, your website is Brian Shaw 
S-H-A-H. Yeah. com, and, and that'll get you there. Fantastic. Brian, I can't thank you enough for sharing your background. Oh, thank you. This was so fun. This right. is great. Catching up with you. And yeah, it's, it's awesome. You know, it makes me very nostalgic for the crew in Chicago also. It really does. So. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's really been great catching up. And uh, for all, for my DOT audience, there's so much to learn in dentistry. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm, I just turned 60. I've been doing this 35 years. And if dentistry doesn't excite you, you just got to get to a good meeting because there's so much stuff. I mean, whether it's restorative or ortho or surgery or, you know, joint stuff, there's just so much out there. And I just, uh, this is, this is why my passion continues to get ignited because like I said, it could be materials, it could be surgery, all this stuff. It just makes us better dentists, helps us provide for our patients better, makes us better servants to our patients. So all this knowledge is awesome. Brian, I can't thank you enough. It's been just great, and I uh, look forward to seeing you uh, soon at one of our future meetings. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again, Dennis. This was this was great. Thank you. If you enjoyed this and you want to get more information from Dental Online Training, then check us out at dothandson.com. That's one word, dothandson.com. Now, as a reminder, DOT has so many other great opportunities for your learning. We have our Wine and Unwind monthly webinars where we engage real-time with our viewers as we bring in leaders throughout the dental industry to bring you up-to-date information and answer your questions. We have our monthly Coffee and Donut Study Club sessions where our participants bring in cases and we treatment plan these cases together to help you with the dentistry that you provide for your patients. We have our live virtual workshops where our dental online trainers perform the same techniques from their kits in the comfort of their own home or office as I'm doing the same procedure under our video camera. We have our blogs and we have an endless selection of hands-on pre-recorded technique courses to help you improve the quality of the clinical dentistry that you provide for your patients. That's right. With our on-demand courses, you do these hands-on exercises when the time is right for you. So check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at Dental Online Training. And hey, be sure to share this with your friends and colleagues who you think might benefit from this Surecast and everything that we have to offer with Dental Online Training. And hey, how about one of those coveted five-star ratings? We would love it and appreciate it if you could take the time and just give us one of those great five-star ratings. This episode was created with special help from Claire O'Neill. It was edited by Ashley Dickinson Ellison and with original music by Chris Peterson. Again, thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartlieb, yours for better dentistry.